Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode number 95, and we are going to start the show a little differently. Let me tell you first that uh, later on on the program, we will have uh, another 1972 throwback and we will be talking about um we will be reviewing the program from week number three of that season so we're going to review uh what happened in week two of the 1972 season so uh, we'll get to that uh, a little later and of course we'll uh talk about the number 95 which uh uh as i recall it pretty sparse uh, as far as uh, its use in supermodified racing. But um, I'm going to start the show a little differently, and really um, we're going to start it in the only way that I feel like we should start it. Uh, sometimes things are bigger than racing, and in this case, um, boy, I, I don't even know where to begin here, but uh, we are going to um, start with, we've got Joey Payne, on the phone with us. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you do by now, um, just uh, a few days ago, we lost Terry Strong. Terry um, went to be with the Lord, gave uh, gave cancer the very best run. She kicked cancer's ass twice. Um, and uh, But sometimes, unfortunately, uh, you you just can't do it a third time, but uh, Joey Payne, um, I'm gonna just let you start this because I feel like of all the, I, I mean, I could have called any number of people, but you were the first one I thought of because uh, the stories that I know that I've already heard um, about you and the Strongs and all the years that uh, you drove for him, and I mean. Um, they were as much a part of your family and you a part of theirs as, you know, as anyone could say. Um, and boy, just uh, a really tough weekend uh, for the Oswego Speedway Supermodified Fraternity. And um, we start by uh, obviously giving our prayers and condolences to Pat and and the family. Um, talk a little bit about uh, what comes to your mind when you think about Terry. Well, number one, um she just loved super modified racing. Yes, she loved she Oswego did. Speedway, and that was her life. I mean, she had she had her family. She's got her, her grandkids, her kids. You know, she she loves them dearly. But Oswego Speedway was was what she did, and you know, I was fortunate enough to drive for them very early in my career, in my super modified career. Then, you know, through the years, I I drove for other people and. We had hit it off so good. I mean, to this day, I still stay at their house. And, uh, you know, a lot of the competitors are like, we don't understand that. You know, how do you not drive for them anymore and you stay there? And it's just, we are like family. It's I mean, about friendship, yeah. 
it's friend it's friendship but friendship that turns into family yes and yes. Uh, that's true you know we've we've been friends for over 20 years and uh you know we all lost a great person yeah for sure um i've known terry uh, uh a long time and i i was actually trying to remember whether i met her first uh away from the track she and i at one point worked together at uh, a retail uh store in the city called i think it was james way and uh right right yes yeah, yes exactly yeah she worked yeah. uh we worked together there for for a short time and um you know had a great time and i and i don't remember if that was before or after uh they started racing at the track so i'm not sure exactly which came first there but um knew them uh you know very well and terry just so much of when i think about terry you know she became everybody's mom once she knew you and yeah. she liked you she you know it was cookies it was you know what i mean it was just she food, she was yeah food. whatever you wanted yeah. yep whatever you needed whatever you wanted she was there to help you yeah yeah she was i mean and and uh i mean i i uh and and again i i lose the the track of what year but um i i'm pretty sure jerry kern was still driving for them when um, I was trying to think if it was him or maybe it was Mike Osite, but uh, one of the other was driving the car when I went on a. Uh, they allowed me to tag along to a uh, on the Michigan swing one year um, to Berlin and Kalamazoo. I was actually going to announce those shows, so uh-huh. um, they were nice enough to let me ride with them. And gosh, we had such a good time. Um, Larry Lee, I think was with us, John Scardella. I'm pretty sure, Yeah. you know, um, it was fun to travel back then. And, you know, it was, a, it was a great time. What, you know, talk about some of your time with them and, and, you know, some of the special stories that you remember and things about Terry. Well, you know, like Terry, Terry was the queen of Oswego. We all know that. And it doesn't matter who was driving what car, you know, when, when you didn't needed to know what, what your times were, you, you, you just went and found Terry because Terry had everybody's times. That's what she did. She, yeah. you know, she was, she was on a stopwatch and every car she'd time and, and you could just, you could just go there and ask her, Hey, what's my time? And she'd be like, here you go. And she'd show you a list of numbers and, uh, you know. A lot of people think, you know, women don't know much about racing, but you know, she, uh, she, she, she knows a lot. And, and, you know, I mean, just the, the, just being around them for all the years, I mean, we, we just became so close and, uh, you know, she used to have a saying when I drove for them back in, in like the, I guess it was like 2009 up until like 14 or 15. And she'd, she'd say what Joey wants, Joey gets. And, uh, you know, that was the biggest, like the big, big talk between the team, you know, because, you know, we had two cars and, oh, Joey wants this car. Oh, Joey wants that car. And, you know, <laughs> just, just, you know, and, and it, it came full circle in February because I got remarried and Terry and Pat were supposed to come to the wedding and they couldn't make it because Terry was sick. Uh, and she was yeah. so, she was so upset that she couldn't make it. And she, up until the last minute of, you know, like getting ready to come down, she, she wanted to, but they knew she couldn't because yeah. 
you know, she had to get strong for, for chemo and, and stuff like that. And so I said to Terry, I said, well, what Terry wants, Terry gets. And I had one of my crew guys actually FaceTime her the whole ceremony. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, yeah. So she, she loved that. You know, of course, I talked to her afterwards, and she was crying, and, you know, but we brought the wedding to her. That's and she awesome. couldn't be there. We brought her the wedding. And, uh, you know, just, just a, a great group of people, you know, from Pat and Terry to, to the crew. I mean, we, we just, we, we, we laughed a lot. We really ran good. I mean, you know, Pat and Terry, they didn't have like the high funding teams, like, you know, like the Nacocha team or, you know, some of the, some of the high dollar teams. And I think it was maybe five, four or five years in a row, we were second in points. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty good competing against some of the some of the guys that we competed against. You know, three cars, four cars, and and here we are with our with our nineteen uh, nineteen ninety four West car running up front with everybody. And uh, you know, just goes to show that you know they knew what they were doing. And you know, when 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 I joined forces with them, we you know we we gelled really good and. Uh, we won some races, and we were up front 90% of the time. And, uh, you know, I owe them guys a lot because we uh, we made our mark in Oswego. I mean, we didn't win a, a ton of races, but we were there, and they knew we were there. Well, and as you say, you were kind of David going up against a bunch of Goliaths. And, you know, I always had a, a lot of respect for, for Pat and the team because – I think that, you know, Pat understood what makes a car go fast and Mm -hmm. what doesn't matter to a car for going fast, right? He was, um, I think those, I think Pat and and that team and and really, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you and and then then Mikey Barnes, uh, you know, as well, when he was in the car, you know, again, I think it comes down to efficiency and knowing where to put money. Um, and, yep. uh, he just, you know, he just, he knew what he was doing. And, and, uh, those two, Pat and Terry were, I mean, you say she was the queen. Um, yep. you know, it's kind of like, you, you know, if you're going to have homecoming, you got to have a king. So I guess that makes Pat the that's king, right? Uh, that's, and, that's and I, right. I, th- I think of, of, you know, the, of the of the teams that weren't the elite teams, I think uh, strong racing. It could be said most may may have most embodied what uh, super modified racing at the Swiggo Speedway should be about, and um, you know just never lost the desire to be competitive, and and you know could always do it on a budget. Yep, there's no doubt, and, and there's no doubt in my mind. Pat could take that 1994 West car out of storage right now put it together and it run up front. Do they so, still have that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Do. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's still got the one car left. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. Well, that, uh, yeah, yeah, somebody should do that. That, that should, uh, that should be racing. Um, but yeah, yeah. it's, uh, that's just, um, you know, it, it, it's just tough when you lose somebody who, you know, all you can hope for in life is the best you can. I, I think, uh, Bob Dylan, I think, was the one that originally uh, made this statement, um, and he he related it to art. But I think you can relate it just to life in general. Um, you know what else? Um, 
what else can you hope to do uh, for somebody other than inspire them? And I think I think Terry um, just she inspired so many of us over the last couple of years with the way that she fought so bravely and with so much tenacity um, time and time again, she got knocked down and she would just grit her teeth and get back up. And um, my goodness, I mean, you know, the impact that she has left on the speedway uh, and the super modified fraternity in general. I mean, you think about, you know, all the traveling that they did, all the other shows and drivers like you and Mike Osite and, you know, others who are not from, you know, the Oswego area who drove for them right. or were, you know, in some way, um, again, impacted by Terry, the lives that she touched, right. you know. Yep. They gave they gave a lot of people their break in, in Oswego Super Modified. Oh, that's true. Absolutely. You know, I mean. I mean, when when I was driving for them, and I forget it was like maybe oh nine or or ten, we had that new car. Yep. And we had issues with it, and it was so hard for me to go racing and try and race that car, and try and figure out what what was wrong with it. It was so hard that the thing was was really loose all the time. And okay. I said to Pat, I said I don't have you know it, it's it's too hard to try and keep the car straight from crashing and and worry about what what we need to do to the car, and so Michael Barnes, he was like, he was, he was on the way out. Like, like he didn't have a ride. He couldn't get a ride. Yep. And Pat had come to me and he says, what about putting Michael Barnes in the car? And, and I, I've known Michael since he's a kid. And, and I said to him, I said, I think that's a great choice. And, uh, you know, here it is, you know, 10 years later, 11 years later. And, and, you know, Michael, you know, he, he won a championship, wins a lot of races and, uh, you know, I, I think he would agree that if if it wasn't for Pat and Terry, he might not be where he is right now. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, you know, and I'm the same way. I mean, you know, they they put me on the top of the heap for a while, and uh, you know, it, it's it, it's just such a big loss. I mean, I I actually I got Ronnie his her son texted me when she passed away, and I was at Wall Stadium with uh, with my wife's daughter racing. Oh, okay. And uh, I just. I, I I broke down for an hour and a half. I, oh, I just bet. couldn't do anything. I couldn't couldn't say anything. I just sat in front of the trailer and cried because it's it's just you know not not too many people know, but Terry and I had a relationship that is goes above and beyond most friendships. You know, I mean, we we used to text and, and talk five times a week sometimes. You know, we were just we were really close. And Pat Pat used to choke around saying, "You hitting on my wife?" <laughs> <laughs> well, but we just we just we had a special bond, and it just you know it was it, it it's like one that is unheard of, and uh, you know it, it it's like you know sometimes I felt closer to Terry than my own wife, <laughs> you know. I mean, honestly, well, it's it was but, she know. made it hard not to the way that she yeah, treated people. Yep. You know, she was so yep, genuine good, and just. Good-hearted, genuine, nice person. Yeah. Do anything for you. Very, Give you the shirt off of her back. You yes. know, just, just, you know. And they're yeah. both like that. Pat's the same way. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Very compassionate people. Very kind people. Um, and, yeah. you know, yeah, I I mean, I had gone up 
back up home to Oswego for my for my my mom's right. funeral service and mm-hmm. golly I got back on Saturday night and wasn't back an hour I just got on and and looked at Facebook and it literally was the first thing I saw and and I I just had to it, like I froze I had to stop and yep. read it two or three times to yeah like yeah. oh gosh after all that yep. you know like oh oh I mean there's uh, just there's just I'll nothing, tell you what you know just seeing the amount of people that posted about Terry. She yes. definitely won Facebook Saturday. Yeah, she, she was, did. She yeah. was the talk of the town Saturday. There's no doubt about it. She, and uh, uh, just to see see the amount of people that commented and posted, and, and you know, that just goes to show the type of person she was. And I, I can honestly say I don't know how I'm going to be when I go back to Oswego. It, it's, something's going to be missing there from now on and it's 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 going to be one of the hardest things for me to do because yes. you know it, it's I just I, I mean understand. I go to Oswego uh, you know Oswego Speedway I used to go right over to Terry give her a, a hug and a kiss yep. and you know I, I honestly people might say I'm crazy but you know there's been some some big winners and big names that have, have passed away there and, and I don't think their passing is going to be as 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 big as as Terry's, yeah. Here again, I think, you know. Um, I mean, it's it's all about impact. It's not about yep. you know status or position or whatever no, nope, nope, age. Nope. It's just about impact. Yep. How many? How yep. much impact did you have on people? And I don't think there's anyone in the entire pit area or has been for all these years that I've been, you know, going to the track and, and especially in the, you know, the era in which Pat and Terry's, you know, have been competing there. And um, I just don't know if there was anybody who's had a bigger positive impact, you know, just has been loved and, and more revered than, than Terry. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's, it's amazing you know, to, to be able to say that about someone, but I mean, and, and, uh, my gosh, you talk about drivers that they gave a break to. We can start with Jerry Curran. I don't think Jerry'd raced anything. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, Pat Lavery. I mean, yep. Uh, Pat, Pat did very, very well with, with, with Pat know. Terry. He, he, and he, and he was a crew member. Yeah. Yeah. He never raced and he got in the car and they ran, they ran up front. I mean, you know, Absolutely. It, it just goes to show, Yeah. you know, like I said before, you know, we had a bunch of sponsors and, and, you know, we got by with what we had. And, yeah. and you know, like I said, we, we didn't have like these top name sponsors, you know, like the big sponsors where, you know, there's money is thrown at you with, 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 with no problem at For all. Sure. But that, that money we got Pat spent wisely and we produced. Yep. Well, and, that's yeah, exactly. Yep. Like I said, Pat, probably will never universally get the respect that he really deserves for the amount of knowledge and understanding that, you know, that he has about race cars and about, again, how to be efficient and spend money in the right places to make the car go fast. Um, You know, obviously there's another level there, um, but gosh, for, for how many years, like you've said, you and, and, and then Michael after went out one races, um, you know, against teams that were way bigger than now you may yep. have had to drive the car a little harder, 
you know, um, but again, that was the, you know, that's a credit to you guys as drivers um, that that you can push it that extra, but, but I mean, it was really amazing to watch and um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's going to be hard for a long time, um, you know, for a lot of people, you know, it's a big loss. To, to Oswego Speedway and to the super modified community. Keith Champagne was another one of those drivers that uh, got his yeah. first super modified yeah. ride with yep. the Strongs. And, and, you know, I talked to Keith, spoke with Keith the other day. He's just very, very sad. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's just, like I said, once you, once you knew Terry for, for a little while, um, you know, she, you were family that she made everybody yeah. family. She treated everybody the same, um, you know, yep. and, and, uh, that's that's a great quality to have as a human being and um my gosh i mean i um i just think that uh it's going to be hard for a while i mean i you know i talked to larry trinka for a bit and larry said man i'd love to come on and talk about terry i just don't know if i could do it right now without you know and, and uh, it's, it's hard i'm i'm trying to hold back the <laughs> me <tears>. too <laughs> um, you know and uh yeah it's just uh we we all love Terry and, and Terry loved all of us. Terry loved everybody that, that, uh, you know, that was a part of the community and she lived for racing. She ate, she breathed, she slept racing. And, and, uh, that's, that's she, it. 100%. You know, she married the right guy. Cause so does Pat, yeah, and, yep. you know, exactly. And, uh, I mean, you know, uh, it, it, um, I, you know, I've, I've, I was always kind of surprised that, uh, the, that Ronnie didn't necessarily, um, uh, you know, pick it up, but, uh, you know, was always hoping he would. I think he did some go-kart he's racing. racing. He's something. racing now. He's Is racing he? now. He's racing mini sprints. Yes. Yeah. But, but I mean, the, I, yeah. I was surprised Supers. he never got in the super. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. you know, but, uh, it was, I mean, it, it, it's just, it was so much fun having them. Uh, and like I said, that trip I took to them to, with them to Michigan will, will always have a special place in my heart because it, they didn't have to, yeah. to do yeah. that. But again, you know, yeah, you need to you need to get there. Absolutely, come with us. Let's go and, um, yeah, and yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, your, your your face probably hurt on the way home. Oh, it did. Yeah, from, from yeah. laughing so yeah. hard. It really did. And and you know, I think it was. I think I think pretty sure it was Detroit. We went through. We went through one of the bigger cities. I think it was Detroit at like two or three in the morning with a car in an open trailer. And it's kind of like, yeah. You know, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, that's a dicey proposition even way back then, let alone. But uh, it, you know, we just we did. We had a great time, and and they yeah. they were very gracious uh, to me. And so, um, gosh, we're all gonna miss her. Uh, and yeah. I think you know the uh, the 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 best thing that can be said here is that uh, her her memory, her legend, her love will uh, will live on with us uh, all of us um no doubt and you know i i thought about uh actually breaking the 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 chronology rule and making this episode 99 just to uh i was gonna say that i I was uh, gonna say you she couldn't have waited maybe four more weeks (laughs) trust me i had that thought uh yesterday morning on on sunday morning i said my gosh really terry it was another month come on um but uh you know and i think she genuinely would have laughed at that but it it, oh no doubt no doubt it's like uh but we're still going to dedicate it to her when it gets here um, awesome. You know, awesome. yeah, she uh, uh, just uh, 
just a very sweet, very caring, very compassionate woman. And she, like I said, she was a mother to everybody. Uh, and, yes. and that's, that's a, a rare, rare quality, uh, anymore. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, let's talk a little bit as long as we have you here. What, uh, what's 2022 look like for you, Joey? I know whatever racing you do, you're going to do it memory of Terry, but, uh, where, can, where are we going to see you at a swiggle and all this year? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we'll be there. I, I don't know how many times. I mean, right now I, I don't think I'll make the month of May. I got broken ribs. Oh, so. what happened? Did you crash? I fell out of my pickup truck onto a wheelbarrow. Ouch. Imagine that. <laughs> Well, that was so unexpected. Those. Yeah, that was that happened last Tuesday. So they say probably about six weeks. So Golly, that I'm leaves sorry me out of commission that. for a while. Yeah, thank you. Oof. You know, Ugh. I'm not not a youngster anymore. <laughs> Man, just but we're uh, we'll probably we're, we're probably going to wind up with the Penix uh, 14. We'll probably make maybe four or five races in the Classic. Good, good. Now are you going to you know, run with the... the cost? I, I mean, with the cost of everything nowadays, it's just I, I can't. I can't ask Don to spend all this money and, you know, I mean, he comes out once in a while and I appreciate all he does for me. And, uh, you know, I just, I just don't like spending his money, wasting his money. And, uh, you know, I try and try and tame it for him and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe six times and, uh, you know, there'll be a, a big purple heart on that car with Terry and 99 on it. And, uh, love it. You know, we'll, we'll just, she'll never be forgotten. That's for damn no. sure. And that, uh, yeah, that's, I was going to exactly say that, uh, to close the segment, but, uh, I'll give that one to you. Uh, you're right. She never will be forgotten. Um, and, and, you know, again, it, it just, my goodness, we know that, uh, death is a part of life, but, uh, yeah. Sometimes, I mean, that doesn't, that's, you know, and you can say, well, she's in a better place. She's not suffering. Yeah. And all of that is true. And in one way that, that gives us comfort. And in another way, it, uh, you just, you know, there's, there's the pain because she's not here anymore. Yeah. You know, you just got to yeah. go through the loss and, uh, you know, eventually yeah. we will all move forward and we'll all go racing because that's what Terry would want us to do. Yeah. Right? Yep. And yeah. if we didn't, she'd haunt, she'd haunt us. Now, yeah, just to 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 get back to you for a second, are you when you say you're going to run four or five races in the classic? Are are you going to run any of the top wing shows, or are all those races going to be uh, a Swigo uh, rule shows? Just just us, Swigo. Okay. I, I have no interest. I have yeah. no interest in doing the wing stuff. I got gotcha. you. Okay, so well, I mean, it's a great great money, but I just I'd rather just run us, Swigo, non wing, and uh, compete there. Well, uh, I'm sure that uh, the fans will be very happy to see you, and uh, certainly we need all of the uh, the cars we can get for those Oswego uh, shows this year, and so uh, be very exciting. The that that car, uh, every time I see that car, that is one of the most beautiful cars I've ever seen in a super modified race, um, and you. so uh, look forward to seeing you back on the track, Joey, and uh, hope that you heal up um soon and uh appreciate you i know this couldn't have been easy really appreciate you taking some time to come on and um help us to um pay our respects to uh a lady that uh truly what deserved the title of queen of the oswego speedway pit area uh she exemplified that as much as anybody ever has 
And that you're you're absolutely right. With that, and, and you know, oh, go I, ahead, Joanne. I don't know if you I don't know if you saw it yet, but there's a purple banner hanging on Oswego Speedway right I now. I did. So that yes, goes, that goes to show you what you know the respect they have for. Yes, I saw that a little while ago, and uh, I hope it stays there a good while because it deserves to absolutely. So, yeah. um, again, thanks, Joey, and uh, we will all remember. All right, Terry Strong, is, uh, as Joey said, uh, she will never be forgotten. That is for sure. We're going to step aside when we come back. We will step back 50 years in time and talk a little bit about what was going on uh, week three of 1972. Back with more of the Inside Groove right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to the Inside Groove Super Modified podcast uh episode number 95 um hope that uh you all enjoyed that i you know i really i i fought with myself as to whether i even should ask anyone at this point uh as as you know as as soon as it is uh but you know i i just felt like in some way we had to do i had to do something here um and wanted to do something because Terry meant a, a whole lot to me and, and uh, Pat and the family mean a whole lot to me. And um, I didn't feel that I was qualified to do it myself because, um, you know, so much of the last part of the time that Pat and Terry were um, involved with the car at Oswego, I was not there very much. You know, I've been away since, uh, 2002, 2001, actually, I guess, uh, late 2000, well, 2002, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, I just felt like I, I wanted to, uh, Joey was the first person I thought of because not only is Joey one of the nicest folks to talk to, and he's always very, uh, gracious, uh, and, and really gives a lot to an interview, but, um, I knew that uh, the relationship was there. So, uh, Joey, thank you so much for, uh, taking the time to do that, uh, and, and, uh, and helping us to put together something to honor Terry. Uh, all right. So with that, uh, first of all, I want to say a quick thank you because, uh, sponsors are important. Jeff West and IPC Indy, um, Sean Cathcart and the entire staff at Skip's Fish Fry and LeGraff's Pub. And of course, Rich Worth at JNS Paving, all a big part of this show. And uh, 
can't thank them enough and and wanted to acknowledge them as 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 we do um and with that we'll transition to uh, 1972 now this is uh this is the program from week number 3 and i and i have to thank larry trinka here larry is um probably the number one uh super fan of this show Larry's a great friend of mine who I respect dearly, and Larry was nice enough to, uh, I don't have all of the programs from the 72 season. Uh, I have, I think, a handful. And so, uh, you know, in in wanting to keep this segment going, Larry uh, reached out and said, hey, I've got a bunch of them. Let's compare notes, and, um, you know, I'll I'll take pictures of the info and the programs that I have that you don't, so we can keep this going. Uh, you know, this has been uh, surprisingly popular. Honestly, I've had a lot of response to this, which I'm very uh, humble by and thankful for and um, excited about because I love talking about these days. And so this was uh, a fun time. And, and so um, Larry uh, sent me the the next one in line uh, would have been number three, and and Larry went ahead and sent all the info along today. So uh, here we go. This is um, number three, program number three. So this would have been week two. Now remember, Jimmy Champlain won opening night. So this program would be for week three. Guess who was on the cover? Jimmy Champlain. And the the thing I loved that Oswego that the, uh, the the folks at Speedway Press used to do with the Eagle. I always loved how they tried to sort of color coordinate the border on the front page with the color of the car that was on it. Um, and so we have a green border, much deeper green than Jimmy's uh, green, but uh, regardless, it's the effort that counts. So um, Jimmy Champagne on the cover for this one. And... Uh, guess who won the feature? Baldy Baker in the number 93. This was, again, this would have been week two of 1972. The title was Baker over Macrath in 45 with an exclamation point and a nice big picture of Baldy with a big smile on his face with a checkered flag in victory lane. Uh, and we'll go ahead and, and read through this here. This is what was written in the program for the feature recap. Baldy Baker of Stroudsburg, Ohio, stroked his Miles Engineering Special Car 93 to a car-length victory over Norm Macrath in last Saturday's feature event. It was the first feature victory recorded ever for the popular pilot of the East Albany Street site. In addition, Baker cleaned house, winning both his heat and semi. He pocketed nearly $1,300 for his night's work now. If you think about what $1,300 would have been worth in 1972, that seems like it was a lot of money then. Uh, when starter Norm Bacon dropped the green flag to start the 45-lap grind, Baldy came from his second-row outside slot to grab the early lead. Once in front, he opened a huge lead over the rest of the field. Nick Rowe, Kenny Andrews, Doug Sire, Norm Macrath, and Freddie Graves put on a fine battle for the number two spot as those pilots ran side-by-side for laps trying to improve their positions. 
On lap 19, a caution flag caused interruption in the race as three drivers tangled coming off the second turn. They didn't say which drivers were in the tangle. Come on. Details. Anyway, once the race was restarted, Baldy once again blasted off to a commanding lead. On lap 24, Norm Macrath pushed his Hagen Howard Chevy into second spot and began cutting away at Baldy's lead. These two drivers began opening up a good distance ahead of the rest of the field. Two major battles erupted for first and third. Baldy and Norm for first and third spot among Rowe, Andrews, Graves, Sire, McLaren, Gibson, and Silva. There is an all-star list right there in just, what, one, two, three, seven drivers there. All of them uh, just fantastic super modified racers. Uh, running for third spot in the feature that night. Baldy continued to find the right route to stay ahead of Norm, but late in the event, they came up on heavy traffic. And many times, Norm pulled alongside of Baldy. He just could never get by. Baldy Baker came charging down to receive the checkered flag for the first time ever at Oswego in the 93, with Storm and Norman Macrath right behind for second spot in the blue number 40. Kenny Andrews took third after a torrid battle with Don McLaren, who finished fourth, and Ollie Silva guided his sprinter, number 03, to a fine fifth-place finish. I remember that car, and uh, only Ollie, I think, could have could have done that. Um, so here are the other feature finishers in the order, and then we'll talk a little bit. Uh, Todd Gibson finished sixth in the zero. Seventh was the 37 of Freddie Graves. Finishing eighth was the 04 of Bobby Stelder. Finishing ninth, a great run for Irish Jack Murphy in the Shamrock 13. The Roy Murphy car was hooked up that night. Finishing 10th, Nick Rowe in the 12. Jimmy Winks in the 59. The Ernie and Bob June special finished 11. Doug Sire out of Canada was 12th. Jim Gray in the 31. 13th, George Boss, who was new that season to the Supermodifieds, finished in 14th in the 33 car. Finishing in 15th was Jim Cheney in the 19. Ronnie Madison was 16th in the 80. John Burkholder finished 17th in the 6. I don't remember John in a number 6. It seems like when I saw him race, he drove maybe a number 11. Maybe? Again, I could be wrong, but uh just don't remember him in a 6. Bob Seelman in the 74, Tom Rose in the 4, Bernie Grant in the 17, Jim Muldoon in the 23, Dom Mucho in the 77, and Daryl Peckham in the 44 rounded out the feature field. Heats were won by Baker, Macrath, and Champagne. The semis proved to be very exciting with Kenny Andrews and Baker taking top honors. And guess who won the Concy? Dynamite, Ali Silva in the 03. What was going on in the Ivor the Driver column that week? I Again, always was the first place I went whenever I got a new program. Uh, here we go. First off, the condition of Nolan Swift and Carr. Apparently, Nolan had crashed that week. Um, and, I, in this, and I'm going to guess, and you'll see why in a minute, I'm going to speculate here that this was, there was a crash with he and Jeff Bodine during that season. And I'm going to guess this was it. Um, No one was admitted to the hospital after last week's feature. X-rays were taken and showed no broken bones. 
Nolan is just very bruised from the tremendous jarring. The 10 pins is not too bad, mainly broken suspension parts. The frame does not appear to be damaged. Jeff Bodine's rear engine sustained some suspension damage, but he'll be here tonight. Brian Osgood said, that's why I speculated the two. that was the, the week the two of them crashed. I didn't know it was that early in the season, but uh, I guess it was. Uh, Brian Osgood says maybe for this week and probably next week for his new super. Ali Silva, who will become a regular here at Oswego this year, is installing a big 427 in the little 03. If anybody can handle it, it's Ali. Continuing with Ivor. Baldy Baker left here, meaning Oswego, Saturday and went to Sandusky Speedway to put together a clean sweep there as well. He says he can still get more out of it yet. And can I just uh, interrupt Ivor's column for a minute just to talk about something? Um, I was too young in that period of time to ever have sort of taken advantage of this, but um, I always thought it was cool that so many drivers would come and run Oswego on Saturday and then go to Sandusky on Sunday and run there. And boy, what I would have given to um, be able to have been a fly on the wall for some of those double headers. Uh, those really were the days you just, you didn't have specialized cars. Travel wasn't so expensive. You just went and raced. Uh, and so, I I just uh, thought that was cool. I wanted to talk about that a minute. Back to Ivor now. I wonder what was ailing Gibson's car last week. He sure didn't look like his old self. And just completing a new roadster is Euclid, Ohio's Tinker Joe Martinsic. Now, I, I'm going to put this out there again because uh, I I think I asked once before and somebody answered it. Uh, but I've forgotten the answer. So somebody just, uh, you know, very nicely humor me and, um, and give me the answer. Where does Joe Martin, where um, Joe Martinsick become Tinker Joe? How do you get a nickname like Tinker? I don't believe that was actually his first name. Um, I don't even think Tinker was Miss Bell's first name. Uh, in it's a Wizard of Oz or whatever, Joe, Peter Pan, I guess, Peter Pan. Um, Hey, I'm old. I just get confused. Um, We hope to see Tinker Joe in competition at Oswego soon. Now he gives his predictions. So now we'll see uh, if we've, I don't know. I'll have to see if uh, uh, Larry's got the next program. I don't think I do, Um, but um, we would need week four's program to, to know how close Ivor comes here. But, Here's his predictions, and apparently these are twin 50s, because uh, first 50, he's, he picks Champagne, Baker, Mackworth, Gibson, and Graves. Second 50, he picks Mackworth to win over Baker, Champagne, Andrews, and Gibson. So there's your Ivor the Driver report. Um, editorial on the same page. Let's see what was going on here. Last Saturday evening was definitely not one of the better nights here at Oswego in more ways than one. First off, the weather was absolutely horrible all day. Finally broke at 7 o'clock, and after several hours of working on the 5 8 mile with push trucks and super modifieds, the track was ready for racing. The third heat was delayed better than half an hour when two brand-new super modifieds rammed the outer fence between the first 
at second turns with one car punching a hole in the steel retainer. I'm going to guess that was the Swift and Bodine crash. Um, During the second semi, Jim Champagne's eight ball began smoking. At first, it was thought that a tire was going, but smoke later proved to be an oil leak from the base of the engine. Attempting to get the feature underway as soon as possible, the consolation was shortened to five laps and no warm-ups were allowed before the conceit. I don't remember ever having warm-ups during the middle of the night. Did we do that for a while? Because I don't remember that in the 70s when I was there. I just remember it being before heats. Um, Anyway, uh, Champagne and crew working frantically were unable to get the eight ball on the line before the balance of the field was all on the track. The rule specifically states that all cars must be on the racing surface before any car is pushed off to start a race. When cars are pushed off and pit light is red, no other cars will be allowed on the track. Thus, the white flag had nothing to do with it. He was out of the show before this time. Uh, the editorial continues, I can side with the many Champagne fans in their feeling that had it been any other night when we weren't delayed for literally hours by the weather in a major accident, he would have had the extra time from the longer consi and the pre-consi warm-ups and would conceivably have made the show. Why is getting the show over with on time so important? Well, because the speedways within the city limits and many thousands of people in the area don't appreciate going to bed with the noise of 24 roaring race cars. I hope many of you Champagne fans can see our side of the story now. Um, That's interesting. And again, uh, that's kind of, you know, we had issues with curfew later on. And uh, I don't really think there have been too many complaints lately, or at least that I've heard about. But... um, Again, you know, one of those things, I doubt that uh, Jimmy, as professional as he was, was probably probably very disappointed, but sure he wasn't upset about the decision. Okay, John Hill and his racing highlights column. Now, this is always another column that's interesting to me because John used to write a lot about Indy. And so I'm going to go ahead and go through this uh, because it's, it's interesting uh, May, month of May is Indy, right? So this would have been uh, during the month of May. Never before in the history of Indianapolis Speedway has there been such a jump in speeds from the previous year's racing. Bobby Unser's pole position winning speed of 195.940 miles an hour is almost 17 miles an hour faster than Peter Revson's 178.696 pole effort of last year. Now, I want you just to think about this for a moment. So 50 years ago, the cars were running 195, would have gotten you the pole at Indy. Or, um, yeah, it did. Got Bobby onto the pole, 195.940. Now, here we are 50 years later, and we're shooting speeds of, you know, 230, basically, or or, you know, in and around that area. So, you know picked up about uh, 35 miles an hour, which is not even two miles an hour a year over the last 50 years and in, at Indianapolis. Now, of course, the cars, the motors, everything has changed. So, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, had we been running the same rules, you know, or whatever, uh, and and allowing unlimited motors and, build, you know, run what you brung kind of thing, There'd probably be guys wanting to run 250 
um, or cars that were capable of it, and uh, you just don't want to. That's just not uh, a good idea on an oval track. Drivers say the biggest reason for more speeds is this year's specifications, which allow, (laughs) here we go, huge inverted wings to be placed on the rear of the cars. (laughs) Where where have we heard this story before? Uh, These wings, some of them big enough to fly a small airplane if used in pairs, exert tremendous downforce on the tires of the cars, making them stick like glue in the corners. Of secondary advantage is new racing tires, treadless slicks that work with the wings. Engine horsepower has been increased, also adding to the speeds. But the wings have a disadvantage. They're actually slowing the cars in the straightaways, but they're increasing the speeds on them in the corners because of their wind drag effect, and they're causing many engine failures because drivers are using more throttle longer on the straightaways in the corners. So they're on the throttle um for longer periods of time with over now hear this with over 63 engine failures this past month coroners are calling for the removal of wings and return to saner speeds i don't think they got their wish the wings have allowed some drivers to go full throttle almost to the start of each turn before backing off um and uh then uh he goes on to make uh predictions that Bobby Unser would win if the offie doesn't go to lunch. Um and uh that's basically it for John's column in the program that night. Let's see what else we got here. Um there's a testing your memory here. I'm not I'm not gonna go th- well, sure, why not? Whatever. Let's do it. Um hopefully you all are uh, excited about the longer um times of these shows because uh, reading all of this information requires more time, but uh, it, it is fun to see what was being talked about back then. So there's a couple of pictures here. How keen is your memory? There's a picture of a huge pileup, um, and several cars are involved. Remember that wild night early in 1968 when we had a three, um, it says a three-mass pileup, but I think it's supposed to be three-car pileup. Uh, all of the front straightaway and all in the start. Um, well, apparently there's, it's not three car because I don't know what they're talking about there, but there are a number of cars involved. So here they are. Um, let's see. Norm uh, Macrath in the 43. Uh, well, it says Harry Macrath. I don't know who Harry Macrath would have been. Uh, I don't know if that might, that's supposed to be Norm Macrath, I think. The 65 of Neil Tooley, the 37 of Sam Carista, the 55 of Kenny Andrews, and the 62 of Joe Haluka. And then farther down the track, it says, were the 50 of Nolan Johncock and the 8-ball of Jimmy Champlain. So um, it turned into a Talladega wreck, apparently. Um, and then on the right, there is a picture of an upright number double zero with a bubble-goggled driver behind the wheel. And it says, remember this guy, or should I say, how could you forget him? Do you know who that would have been? Well, here's the answer. Behind the bubble goggles is the then frail-looking Andy Brown. The picture was taken in 1967, Andy's first year at the Big O. In the several years he ran here, he turned out to be a real hard-charging driver, and if he could get a good ride, he'd be right back here at Oswego. I think Andy was a hockey player, wasn't he? I think he played uh, in the NHL at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Was he a goalie, maybe? Um, Okay. Here's the testing your memory. There are 10 questions here. 
Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the question, and it, and and then I'm going to attempt to read the answer upside down here, uh, and see if we can get this. So, first question: um, He won the 1969 and 1970 Delaware International Speedway Track Championship. Who is he, and what car does he pilot? Da 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 da. da. Never mind. Norm Meckrath, pilot of the Hagen Howard Chevy, number forty. Number two. Which driver lives in Stroudsburg, Ohio? I think I could have answered that in 1973 when I started going, um, just because for some reason I just had a good memory for hometowns. I don't know why. Um, Baldy Baker was the answer, obviously. Um, oh, I love this one. This driver's wife's name is Faye. Who's her husband? Ronnie Wallace, driver of the 90. At the time, he was driving, uh, who owned that car? Uh, Dick Dummigan owned the 90 car at that time. Number four, this driver won the 1969 Oswego Point Championship. Who is he? Kenny Andrews of Burlington, Ontario. Number five, who, dro- oh, who drove the Herm Graf car 15 from 1964 to 1969? Inexplicably, I know this answer without looking, too. I don't know why, but it was Mark Letcher. Um, who was uh, driving the Rainer Town 29 at uh, this time in 1972, but the older car, not the the Holinsky car. They haven't bought that yet. Let's see. Next question. He won the 1963 International Classic. Who is he? Well, this you could have put a number of years in there, and it still would have been the same answer. <laughs> the old Gray Fox, Nolan Swift. Uh, It was the second time that uh, he won that race. Went on to win four more. Uh, This driver drove car number one-third, one-third in the 1965 season, and one night he flipped it between turns three and four. Who was it? And I know this answer, too, because in some program, some other program that I have, when they did a look back, it showed that flip, and I think it was a double flip. I think it was Don McLaren, and I don't remember who else, but I think there were two cars. So I remembered that because uh, one third. I mean, it's it. You know, that's just one of those things that uh, makes it easy not to forget. Which top super modified driver also plays professional hockey with the Detroit Red Wings? Well, here's your Andy Brown. Here's my answer: Andy Brown, Animal Andy. Um, Play goalie. Okay, so there. I uh, I was I I remembered that. That's good. Uh, nice to see the memory still works now and then. Number nine. This Canadian retired from auto racing at the end of last year. Who was he? And what car did he drive? Um, and I did not know this. I had thought I remembered him racing a little in '73, but I guess not. Harvey Lennox, driver of the number seventy, which I believe, if I remember right. I think Gary, no, no, not Gary, Dave Morton. I think that was Dave Morton. It may not have been his first car, but I I think it was one of his early ones. I think he eventually ended up with that car. And I also think, isn't that uh, the car that Warren Conium did a relief driving appearance in, in a classic um, at, at one point in uh, maybe the 70 or 71 classic? Uh, not sure, but uh, for some reason that rings a bell. And that brings us to the final testing your memory question. In last year's Twin 50s, these two drivers each won a feature. Who were they? Well, I would argue that the um, 
they 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 were would be called the king and the 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 prince. Nolan Swift and Jimmy Champagne picked up the wins in the Twin Fifties in nineteen seventy one. Uh, who we have in the racing game? Ronnie Wallace in the ninety and Jack Conley in the twenty seven. Now I don't know if Jack was there, but uh, I don't know if that would have been a good racing game or not that year. I don't think Jack had run a race yet. I don't know if he came back. Okay, now I'm going to read this article because it's uh, it's got three pictures next to it. It's all about Bentley Warren and his indie attempt. I'm going to go ahead and go through this. It's not a really long article, but this is interesting history here, so I'd like to recount it um, if you don't mind. By the way, if at any point uh, in this sort of long section of the show, uh, you know, you want to take a break, just hit the pause button. Go do what you need to, and then uh, then come back. Um, so here it is, Heartbreak in Indy, and this is, yeah, John Hill wrote this as well. Um, Indianapolis, it is just past noon at the Capital Lotta Racing on the fourth and final day of qualifying for the 500-mile race. In a hot Sunday afternoon, sun, anxious drivers and crews tinker with cars and consult one another trying to find the secrets for more speed Necessary to gain a starting berth in the coming weekend's rich million-dollar classic. Some are desperate. For nearly a month, they have sweated and slaved over exotic $100,000 racers that have baffled them by refusing to perform to expectations. Most now suffer from lack of sleep and sour stomachs from improper eating habits. Gordon John Cock eyes his much-heralded English-built Gulf McLaren that now has its fifth Offenhauer engine installed. Broken pistons have wrecked $128,000 worth of the other four engines. Wow. Bentley Warren, still limping slightly from his August of 1971 sprint car crash, broke, and his chief mechanic, Fred, works feverishly on his own deep blue racer trying to sort out a multitude of problems. Today, for the first time, he has really had a chance to try the car then only for a few brief laps. There are others just as desperate. Jerry Carl, Denny Zimmerman, Salt Walther, Cale Yarborough, and others who have n- had nothing but nerve-wracking trouble for three long weeks. There is another kind of grief pictured on the face of cheap mechanic Phil Casey. His number 16 Thermo King sits in the pit, ready to go with fresh blue paint. Blue paint. Fresh blue paint. Ominously covering the driver's name. For his driver has succumbed to injuries from the wreck just days before of the prime car. Now I really feel bad for laughing a second ago. Sorry. An endless string of friends make jokes and try to cheer the crew. But through their smiles, the grief masks their faces as the only passing of a close friend can. Now John Cock takes to the long track, hoping his engine will stay together for four laps and he qualifies at a solid 188.511 miles an hour. He is the 28th qualifier. Lee Koonsman is the next one to try. Then Jimmy Carruthers, and then John Walker. All of them make the starting lineup. Bentley Warren then goes out for practice, and two laps later pits with oil leaking from a pressure gauge and a dorsal fin on his rear wing pulling loose. But he has just done 178 miles an hour, and he has a chance. Warren's former car owner of last year tells him, he can try his second car if he wants, but later Bruce Walkup blows the engine in practice. Zimmerman then qualifies at 2.30 p.m. and says happily, 
We've had our troubles this month. Thank God we made it. He is the 32nd car. Young Salt Walther qualifies and in an emotional voice gives his thanks. The field is now full. Warren takes his car to the line and gets final instructions from Chief Steward Harlan Fangler. He must now beat Wally Dollenbach's 178.421 miles an hour to bump him from the field. In Warren's practice lap, the announcer cries to 100,000 fans, he's just hit 180+. plus. If he can do it now for four laps, he's in the race. But as the announcer's voice rises, Bentley's heart sinks. The engine is skipping down the backstretch, and he pulls in without taking the green flag. Champion spark plug men shake their heads over the engine and try to adjust the fuel injectors. Turn the screw in orders Warren for maximum turbocharger boost. It's getting late. Qualifying driver Sammy Sessions leans into Warren's cockpit to offer some words of encouragement. Cale Yarborough now bumps Stallenbach as Bentley tries again at 5.30. The crowd cheers again as he hits 179 miles an hour on his first lap. But again, the overworked off, he stutters on the backstretch for just seconds. Lap two is down to 163 and his third is back to 178 as he pulls in. He puts his car back in line behind six other cars, but he knows it's too late. So do many other drivers with long faces. It is, as Parnelli Jones once said, I could pass among them with guns then, and they'd swap their cars for the chance to shoot themselves dead. (laughs) Okay. As the final 6 o'clock gun cracks, only Cale Yarborough smiles. He has not been bumped. For the others, it signals the crack of doom. For them, there is no race this Saturday. That's a nice column. Um, and it really captures the heartbreak. I mean, if you think back, and we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, bring Joe Gozik's in the interview um, into one of our next couple shows as we get closer to the 500 to let you hear that again, because that may have been honestly the the most riveting 45 minutes of the Inside Groove Super Modified podcast in its entire history here joe was um i had no idea uh all the the things that had gone into joe being able to go to indy to begin with and all of the 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 things that went into the heartbreak the 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 number of motors that that he kept blowing with the original car that he was driving uh and to be able to to then recover from that and much like bentley on the very final moment in a car he'd never even hardly, I don't think he got any practice in it. He goes out and puts the thing in the field. It was pretty incredible. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna bring that back here uh, too uh, in one of our next couple shows. Um, next uh, part of this, meet mechanic Dick Ludgate, and I think he was a mechanic. Yeah, for Ron Buckner. Um, so here's this. It's again fairly short. Certainly one of the most talented mechanics in the super modified circuit is the head man for Ronnie Buckner's car 36. He's Dick Ludgate of Ontario, New York. Dick is 30 years of age and is an engineering aide for the Xerox Corporation of Webster. He and his wife, Linda, have two children, Greg and Janine. Dick first came to Oswego in 1966, became very interested in the supermodifieds. He missed very few shows over the years and really loved this type of racing. When Ron Buckner moved into this area and they became friends, Dick told Ron, who has always had a racing background, about the supers at Oswego. Ron came here one night, got caught by the racing bug. It was decided they were going to get into supermodified racing. 
Rob purchased a frame from Tony Lavati, and they built from that. They had it all ready to go opening day of 1971, and this is when we first met Dick and found him to be a hard worker. The car was equipped with a 427 Chevy that Ron put together while Dick's main duties were setting the car up. The car was sold to Steve Miller, owner of the 16, over the winter months. This past winter, the Buckner crew built an all-new number 36. Ron, along with Dick and mechanics Jim Prindle, Jim Kobe, Tom Zay, and Paul Sprague, put together the sleek orange roadster. They received quite a bit of help from Dick Shank, a former top racing great. They began building this car last January and finally completed the car just a few days before the Oswego opener. Dick claims it requires about three men for three nights to keep the race car in top condition. He finds himself keeping track of the total car and usually has to come up with the new ideas to help make the car perform better. Before any major changes made on the car, Dick discusses it with Ron and the crew. Dick is looking for a good year for Ron in the 36. He hopes to overcome the many little problems that came up over the season that plagued the car, mainly through experience. In only their second year of supermodified racing, Ron has done a fine job, and hopefully he and his fine crew will be in racing for a long time to come. And then um, as we turn the page here, yes, there are the pictures. Oh, my, that was quite a crash. And, yes, Nolan Swift broke the steel wall. Goodness gracious. Um, it's just, uh, you can see Nolan in the second shot bending over with his hands kind of on his knees, uh, looking at the damage to the, to the new car. But I would, I would guess that, um, there was some sort of back pain involved there. This just looks like a pose where you're, yes, you're looking at the, uh, the damage, but you're, it looks like you're, you're kind of wincing in pain and trying to stretch the back muscle or whatever, trying to do that. But, um, wow, that is incredible. Um, the, the damage it did to the fence, just amazing. Um, we, I will post this picture up on the, uh, inside groove Facebook page here, uh, this week, Bobby Stelter, uh, in the Woodshed 04 is the next picture. And then there's three photos. First one says one, two, three wide going into turn two. Don McLaren down low, Nick Rowe in the center, and Ollie Silva dirt tracking it high on the outside. My goodness, Ollie driving that car. Incredible. Um, that, the middle picture is the new Flintstone Flyer piloted by Todd Gibson. Everybody's been saying this is going to be Todd's year. We'll soon find out. It never materialized. Uh, 99 of Jeff Bodine is the last picture, a rear engine Gerhardt. Again, that was former IndyCar. It'll be interesting to see what he can do with it here in Oswego and, uh, had some speed, but just had trouble finishing. Uh, by the way, um, working on an interview with Jeff, uh, not for this show, but for the Tom Baker show. But, um, I think we'll probably replay part of it on this show because I want to ask him about, uh, the time at a swiggle with the supers. So when we get that set up and, and make that happen, we'll, uh, we'll clip part of that, uh, and put it on, uh, the inside groove show as well. So you'll get to hear that. Um, the big question, many chat, many classes of race cars, such as indie type, indie type sprints, late models, etc., have resorted to putting a cubic inch limit. Oh, here we go. A uh, cubic inch limit on uh, the size of the engine they can compete with. 
What do you think of doing the same sort of thing in the super modified class? Um, how, boy, how many years did we debate about motors? Maybe we're still debating about motors in some way. Uh, Jim Champagne, only when the safety factor is jeopardized. Jeff Bodine, it might make it a little easier for everybody, but I can't see any reason for it now. Jack Murphy, good idea. Keep expense for the moderate racer in line. Remember when they when they banned strokers and said that um, it would make the speed slower and the motors cheaper? <laughs> Not quite. Ronnie Madison says, then it wouldn't be open competition. Well, that's true. Nick Rowe, good idea. Kenny Andrews, definitely a good idea. Fred Graves, I don't agree we should put a limit on engine sizes. Prices of engines would go up to be competitive. (laughs) Bob Seelman, it wouldn't be a super modified if you restricted it. John Burkholder, geez, I really don't know. Jim Muldoon, no way. (laughs) Bob Stelder, I don't know. Jim Winks, when it gets so big they can't handle the car, then definitely. Bruce Kraft, no, this way there's no arguments or cheating. Doug Sire, absolutely. Jim Cheney, I don't think so, no arguments this way. Don McLaren, no. Baldy Baker, no, that's not super modified racing. John Clapham, no way, that's what makes it so good. Um, You know, it's... uh, it's just interesting to to think again. This was fifty years ago. We were debating such things. Um, next page is a page of new machinery for seventy two. Nice picture of the new Flying Five, the old Swift car for Don McLaren. Um, I love the paint, the the particular uh, paint scheme for that time when McLaren drove it. I loved McLaren's helmet because. He, excuse me, he had the flying five on it, and it had that giant clear open face shield. There was no sort of bottom to the helmet. The shield went all the way down. Um, I just thought that looked really cool. It looks beautiful in color shots. The new Nick Virgo Jim Muldoon 23 now. Uh, this was in 72 that that car got built, and I think it was in 74. Five maybe that Jim bought the car and reworked it as the number 68. And then I think it was the next year that Ronnie McLeod took that thing and actually put it in the classic. Um, so that car had uh, sort of an interesting shelf life. I think, uh, I think Joe Hawksby had it and then maybe Don Haas had it. I think maybe it was his first car and, um, Poor Don. Don Don had a pretty good streak of ending uh, the lives of race cars, and I think that was uh, that may have been one of the first ones. Um, Kemp Dates, the all-new Red Creek Rocket. Uh, that's a nice car. Boy, a picture of him at the wheel of that. Uh, it's in the pit area, so uh, you, you can see Kemp. Uh, Red Barnhart's new 66. There we go. That was the car that uh, became the Rainer Town 29 in 74, the yellow one that Mark Leitcher drove, and then um, it became the 76 for Ronnie Wallace, where it still lives on in the um, Northeast Racing Hall of Fame in Weedsport. I think that's what it's called now. I don't think it's the Dirt Track or Dirt Hall of Fame anymore. Um, Ron Buckner's new 36. Wow, that looked sharp that year. 
it looks different than it did the following year. Uh, the new Steve Joya number nine, piloted by John Clapham. I always love it when the driver appears to be looking at the camera as if he's smiling um, <laughs> for the picture. Uh, just I, I always I always think that was just uh, perfect timing on the photographer's part. The driver happened to look that way, but who knows? Maybe he was looking and smiling. Uh, meet new driver George Boss. One of the many new entries racing Oswego Speedway this year is George Boss, the pilot of the sleek Red Roadster number 33. George hails from Rochester, New York, where he is employed as an electrical contractor. 38-year-old speedster and his wife, Jeanette, have three children, Debbie, Kathy, and Lauren. If you have kept up on racing around the Empire State over the last few years, you most likely have heard of George as he has quite a fine record in the late model division. George started racing in 1966 with a 1957 late model Chevy. He competed regularly at Spencer Speedway, Lancaster Speedway, and Fulton Raceway. Now, again, we'll take a moment here and think about, gosh, was Fulton a great asphalt track or what? I mean, what was it like back in that time? I can only think um, when all these tracks were running and Fulton was still pavement and, uh, gosh, just a, a such a cool time in the sport back then and uh, wish I could have been old enough to be traveling those tracks in that time. George has shown tremendous improvement each year. In 1970, he was third in points at Spencer, and last year he won the championship. He also ran a modified sportsman last year, number 15, Junior, owned by D.A. Johnson. This year, George finds himself behind the wheel of the Lightning Fast Super Modified, and he has himself a mighty fine ride. He's piloting a roadster owned by John Schubert of Pittsford, New York. John is a longtime veteran of auto racing, and his experience around the track should come in very helpful as the season progresses. The number 33 may not look familiar or may look very familiar to many fans, as if as it is the former Jack Eamon, Eamon Chevy number 27, that Wayne Landon and the late Jack Thomas drove to many fine feature finishes years ago. Since that time, the car has been completely rebuilt. It's equipped with a big 427 Chevy. About the only major change John and George made on the car was to change the suspension. George will be racing the car mainly in Oswego this year and possibly may travel the Northeast depending on how well progress is made. Both George and John claim Oswego Speedway is a great track with the finest management and friendliest officials as well as competitors. In their two outings with the car so far, George says the car felt good, although the engine was a little rough. All in all, we're happy so far. We'd like to wish George and John the very best of luck this season in Oswego and hopefully a profitable and re- rewarding year on the super-modified circuit. Now, um, one thing I should point out here is that um, I believe it may have been the next year that uh, Tommy Leeson ended up driving that car a time or two, and then I think he bought it. And it became, I think it was his first old Snoopy, if I'm not, uh, if I remember correctly. And I seem to recall a program somewhere, uh, 74, 75, with him on the cover with both that car as the 97 and the modified number 97 that he had. I do not remember where it went after that, if anybody bought it or kind of what happened to it. But um, you don't say 
is, again, another part of the program that I always love. Again, these are just uh, candid shots of different drivers, people in the pit area, and then captions are made up. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Uh, Jim Cheney. Looks like this may be a driver's meeting because I see Cheney standing next to Kemp Dates. Jim looks cold, too. Must have been chilly that night. He's got a jacket on. Looks uh, looks like he's cold. Uh, Jim says, hey, just what we've needed. Topless trophy girls. That would be so Jim Cheney, wouldn't it? Uh, next picture, Jimmy Winks talking to uh, someone that we don't see because his back's to us. Says Jim Winks, you know... I think I'm getting the hang of this car 59, only I still can't find the lead shoe Eldon wore on his right foot yet. Eldon Schrader used to drive that car, and um, so that's uh, where where Jim is getting that from. Eldon had some good runs with it. Jim was coming off, uh, I think he was coming off his time in the Jim Sewell 32, uh, so he would have been just past being a rookie. When he drove the 59, I believe. So he was still getting experience. Um, he was such a great driver. Dirt, asphalt, supers, modified, sprint cars didn't matter. Jim Cheney, or Jim Winks was, well, Jim Cheney was a great driver too, but Jim Winks was still winning races, I think, in Florida very late in his life in the um, open wheel modified class down there. Uh, what's the next picture here? Doug Sire uh, is with Claire Trierweller, who was. Uh, or Trent Weiler, I think it's Trierweller is actually how you pronounce it. I think this was a misspelling, but um, I think he was one of the owners of the 12. So uh, it says, I read Doug Sire talking. He's got his palm held out. It says, I read here on my palm that I should be aware of light blue race cars. I imagine there was probably an accident with Doug and a light blue race car coming together that um, that may have led to that caption. And then there's a picture, I'm going to say the guy on the left was Bobby Stelter. I don't know who this guy on the right is. He's got very long sideburns, long black hair, and is not Warren Conium. Uh, I don't know who this would be, but uh, Bobby was talking to this gentleman, and so, and, and it says you make up the caption. I, I like that. They used to have... Uh, they used to let you make up the caption and deposit it at the novelty stand or send it to the Speedway Press, and then they would run the picture again and show some of the best answers. At the end of the season, the management will pick the caption that stood out from all the rest in its originality, and that person who sent in that caption got a season's pass for um, the, well, I think this is supposed to be 73 season because it's already 72 at this point. But it says 1972 season. I think it should have been 73. And a lifetime subscription to the Eagle, which is really, that's pretty awesome. Okay. Um, point standings. So we'll run through these because there aren't a ton of drivers here. Norm Mackworth was leading with 150 points. Baldy Baker was second with 108. Jim Champagne third with 100. And you had Ollie Silva in fourth, Freddie Graves in fifth, Kenny Andrews sixth. Bobby Stoller in 7th, Don McLaren in 8th, Doug Sire in 9th, Todd Gibson 10th, Jimmy Winks 11th, Bruce Kraft 12th, Harold Brown 13th, uh, Jack Murphy 14th, Ronnie Madison 15th, Nick Rose 16th, Dennis Wheeler was 17th, Bernie Grant 18th, Jimmy Gray 19th, George Boss 20th, 
Lewis George's car number 14, so he must have driven a different car before he started in the 33, I guess. Uh, Jim Cheney was 21st. Leon, Leon Barnhart. I always forget Red was a nickname. Leon Barnhart, 22nd. Paul Baumhauer was third, 23rd in the 62. Johnny Burkholder in the 1 was 24th. Now, again, I swear I remember him as number 11, and so maybe the number 6 that I was asking about in the feature rundown was a typo. I don't know. Kept the dates of the 28. Bruno Marchison in the 14. Again, not sure if that was... If George Boss, maybe he was supposed to be 33. Again, I don't know who's making mistakes here and what's true, but uh, it was Bruno Marchison is the driver of number 14. Bob Seelman, Tom Rose, Mark Letcher, Don Muccio, John Bozio. We talked about him a week or two ago. Uh, Jim Muldoon and Daryl Peckham rounding out the uh, point standings at that point in the 72 season. Uh Boy, um, you know what? Here's what we're going to do, because I, I want to read both the Expressing Your Views column, because this is a uh, tribute uh, and a nice poem that somebody wrote. Um, I don't know if it's so much a tribute, but just uh, it's a really nice poem. I want to read this, and then uh, I also want to read the Feature article on Jimmy Champagne as well. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to step aside just for a moment. We're going to take a break and give you a chance to get up, stretch, uh, go take care of whatever. uh, And, of course, don't turn the show off because we want you to hear about uh, one of our amazing sponsors. But uh, uh, we'll come back and we'll finish this segment up and Uh, roll into talking about the number 95 to close out the show as well. So back with more of the groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of this show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we wrap things up here. Uh, A couple of more things to read from the third program of 1972, back in time 50 years. Again, that's just, I don't know if I'll ever uh, get used to saying that. So here's what this is. This is somebody, a gentleman named Bob Sorrell wrote a, this is a poem, and it covers a lot of ground here. So I want to read this. I have not pre-read any of this, so uh, we're doing this off the cuff here. Here it is. 
It all began in 65 when Ronnie Lux was still alive. And if you just mentioned the Buffalo Kid, the others all ran away and hid. And even though these are other days, I can still hear that announcer say, Ron Lux has found a perfect groove. He really makes that little deuce move. Now look at him. Move way up high. Oh man, that car can really fly. When on the track, he beat the rest. There was no doubt he was the best. But those days came and those days passed. And on came Bentley from Gloucester, Mass. The way he drove that little deuce was always hard and never loose. He hit those turns with a full head of steam away in which other drivers could only dream. He drove that car without a care. He almost made it seem unfair. He'd either win or hit the wall. <laughs> he was the greatest of them all. But after 1969, when he proved that as a driver he was fine, he told us all he was through racing here. That was bad, because we held Bentley pretty dear. But just like Ronnie Lux's soul, we knew that Bentley had his goal. And the Deuce fans still should have no fear because of another driver we have here. He comes from way up Canada's way. And as good as the other two drivers, I'd say, he is. His first name is Warren, like Bentley's last. And he really makes that Deuce go fast. When they try to beat the Deuce, they fail because the Deuce can really well. And as long as the little Deuce will run... We'll always know it's number one. And again, that was from a gentleman named Bob Sorrell. Uh, that's actually really well done. I love that. Uh, it's great to, you know, when you think about, and we, we did a tribute. Uh, Bentley Warren actually was on the show uh, a while back uh, to help us pay tribute to Howard Purdy when, when Howard passed. And boy, oh boy, I'll tell you what, that was so cool. Uh to, to be able to to see uh, and hear the stories that Bentley told about running for Howard and the races. But so many drivers in that car. Ronnie Wallace drove it a few times. Uh, of course, Conium ran it. Uh, and he talked in, in his interview that he did with me about that. Uh, gosh, so much, so many great drivers. Andy Brown, I think, maybe a little bit. Uh, of course, she had... Uh, Ronnie Lux, who ended up passing away, not in the deuce, but in a different racing accident, I think maybe in a sprint car. Uh, gosh, who else? Of course, Jimmy Winks finished up in it. I feel like I'm leaving a driver or two out that may have been in it a little bit, but I think we got most of them anyway. Uh, that car was just, it was just an incredible race car. Okay, uh, feature article here, Away from the Track with Jim Champagne. So this features a picture of Jimmy uh, in the car and then a picture of Jimmy with his wife, Leona. And I'll see if I can read this. Here we go. A consistent runner, a popular pilot, a very talented driver, all phrases in which to describe Jimmy Champagne, the man behind the wheel of the turquoise colored eight ball. Jim and his unique machines, whether it be a sportsman or super modified, have proved to be a successful combination over his 12 years of auto racing. Jim and his lovely wife, Leona, who is about to give birth to their first child, live in Clay, New York. Jim grew up in the North Syracuse area and attended the North Syracuse High School, where he was one of the finest students in attendance. He graduated 21st out of a class of 300. Wow. And was a member of the National Honor Society. His favorite subjects in high school, guess what? Math and science. Of course. His worst subject was English. 
Wow. Okay. When Jim graduated high school, he started working for the Carrier Corporation of Syracuse as a draftsman. He continued working for Carrier as he went racing. But as the years went on, he found himself becoming more interested in owning and operating an auto parts store. Thus, in December of 1969, Jim opened Champagne's Auto Parts Store in Liverpool, located across the street from Hyde's Restaurant. Jim has found this new venture to be very successful. Jim claims his vacation comes in November and December when he can take it a bit easier. But when New Year's Day arrives on January 1st, it's back to the garage to spend 25 hours a week on the town uh, or uh, on the race car. Jim takes off some time from his busy schedule to play basketball during the winter on a town recreation team, which, by the way, Mark Letcher also participates in. Jim also finds time to watch football with his favorite team being the Baltimore Colts, mainly because Jim thinks Johnny Unitas is such a great quarterback. The winter months can find Jim and Leona catching a Syracuse Blazer hockey game at the War Memorial in Syracuse. I don't even remember the Syracuse Blazers. That's pretty cool that they used to have one. Of course, now they have, what is it, the Crunch? I think it's the Syracuse Crunch. Uh, believe it or not, Jim's favorite color is turquoise. Shocking. His favorite food is a charcoal broiled steak, medium rare. Yes, thank you, Jimmy. Although I'd rather have my medium just not charred. Um, turn the thing over. Don't char the top. He says Leona is a fine cook, but unfortunately he's never home often enough to ever really enjoy it. Jim likes to watch movies with his favorite being a Western. A typical Saturday for Jim would be to get up at 9 o'clock after racing the night before, which would be on the dirt at rolling wheels, I think, and head off to the garage at 10 o'clock, unload the modified he ran Friday night, and after making last-minute preparations on the Super, load it up and arrange all the last-minute details. About 4 o'clock, he heads back home, gets a bite to eat, and heads for the track. This year, Jim already has one feature win to his credit, in both divisions, winning with a super opening night here and a few weeks back completely overwhelming the field at Shangri-La with the modified sportsman. Jim, along with his talented crew consisting of Oki, Butch Strouts, and brother Jack Champine, helped keep the eight ball in top-running condition. Jim's affiliation in racing has been a great one. He states, racing has taken a lot of time and effort, but I have been rewarded with many friends and success, which make it so very, so very much enjoyable. We, too, have been rewarded with the participation of Jim and his eight ball here at Oswego, and hopefully there will be many more seasons of super modified racing for this fine racing team. And that is the conclusion of that program. Thank you to Larry Trinka for um, taking all those photos so I can uh, open them up and read all that to you because uh, I don't know the program. Now, there are a couple of programs that neither Larry nor I have copies of from the 72 season. And so here's my request to those of you who listen to this show. Um, we need the following 1972 programs. Now we don't need the physical programs though. If any of you have them and you're willing to part with them, I would love to have them, but um, Here's what we need. We need all that information out of them. So we just need you to take clear pictures so you can and send them to me so we can uh, have them. Okay, so um, so we need program number four. Now, remember, I just read you program three. So we would need the next one in order. And then we need program six, nine, 10, 19, and 20. And if it was a book, we need number 24. Um if there was such a book, 
because uh, Larry says he has the classic yearbook. So, um, incidentally, we're not going to go through the whole classic yearbook. That would that would require about three shows probably, even back then. And I think I actually might have the 72 classic book somewhere, but I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, so program numbers, this is from 1972. We need 4, 6, 9, 10, 19, and 20. If any of you have it, any of those, and would be willing to help us out here so we can go through this as much of the season in order as possible, um, you know, I would certainly appreciate it. And I know that everybody else would as well. So, uh, there you go. So that was, uh, our look back to 1972. And I want to close the program with, uh, the number 95, of course, uh, you know, there just haven't been, as far as I can remember, too many number 95s at a swigo. The one that came to mind first was the the first one I remember, and I think the guy's name was Jim Wright. I don't remember where Jim was from, but I think it might have been. Uh, I even think it might. And, and now that I think about it, I don't know if he was ninety five or seventy five, but I seem to remember that there was one back in the in the earlier seventies, and I think. I think it was 95, but again, I could be, I could be mistaken. Um, and then the next one that comes to mind for me, you have to go a lot of years to get another one. And, um, the guys, I think it's Dave Phelps. It was, a, I think he bought a dead wheeler car and just went down a digit. Um, and uh, I think it was Dave, Dave or Dan. I can't remember, but I think it was, it was, I think it was Dave Phelps. And I think he only ran maybe a year or two. Um, and I think Dan drove the car a little bit as well. I'm not, I, again, I, I could be wrong, but seem to remember at least one or two outings for Denny in that car. And um, I don't know, to be honest, if we've had a 95 car since then. My mind is not letting me recall one. It's just not a number that's been often used. It's There are some numbers that um, have a ton of drivers attached to them because maybe either they were uh, a car owner number, like, say, the Steve Miller 16, who had, you know, how many drivers of that car over the years? Um, you know, the Herbgraf C15 or whatever. Or, you know, there, it was just a fairly common number and you had – uh, a number of different sort of iterations. The number 71 would would come up as one of those numbers because you had the Ray Sand car and then you had the the car from um, Ohio that I think uh, Randy Wynn and whoever else. And then it was a number, it became a, uh, even when it wasn't used on a regular basis, it was a number that people would change their number to if you were 11 or whatever, uh, and there were duplicates of that, you would make it 71, or if you were seven and, you know, whatever, uh, it was just so, there are certain numbers like that that were used quite a bit, 95, just not uh, registering with me uh, for anybody else, but uh, you guys may have some additional ones, and again, I feel like I miss sometimes some of the guys that are running currently, uh, which really is kind of embarrassing. Again, sorry, Jack Patrick. Uh, hoping to get Jack on the show, by the way. He and I had an arranged time, and I ended up with a conflict, and um, 
just haven't been able to get back to him, and I, I, I feel bad about that. Jack, I'm sorry. We need to get back together here. So in the next uh, few weeks, hopefully we'll get Jack on because uh, I really do want to talk with him. Uh, he's a great guy and, and, a, and a great driver and uh, really want to give him the time uh, to, to talk about uh, his racing and, and uh, his memories over the years of uh, Oswego and, and uh, all of that. So uh, we've got hopefully uh, some that we, we want to talk to Jody London here soon because uh, Jody's got some really cool things going on in Oswego this year. So we'll get Jody back on to talk about that in the uh, the coming weeks as well. And, of course, uh, leading all up to the uh, opening day at Oswego Speedway. And uh, we've got, geez, MSS uh, with with racing. I think, um, I don't know, I think the new series has already canceled its first race. Um, so I don't know really where all of that is. Uh, and, of course, Isma doing, doing some things this year that we want to keep track of as well. So uh, really excited about what's going on. Uh, in super modified racing and super excited about all the registrations that are coming in. Cam's been in Norway, so we haven't had him on. We'll, uh, uh, as soon as I know that he's back on American soil, we'll try to, uh, get him back on again and get caught up on the, uh, registrations because they're coming in, uh, hard and heavy now. So, uh, the 350 class just looks like it's going to be amazing. Now, Mike Muldoon has uh, a car or two cars built for that class. And good to see that Mike Barbera is bringing Brian Sobis back too. That's, uh, that's great. I, I think that team's got a chance to win some races this year and, and really happy to see Brian in a competitive car again. Uh, we'll get him on the show too, coming up as soon as we can. So um, listen, thanks to all of you for listening to this show every week. Uh, Please share it, uh, and and let's uh, let's keep the chain going here and get as many people as we can watching and listening to uh, this show. We are going to do some video stuff here as we go forward. Now that SteeringWheelNation.com is up, I uh, want to do some, some uh, live video here again like we've done in the past, um, and hopefully once we get we might uh i might try to do one in may but uh we'll try to make the first one at least in june and uh we're gonna do gonna have some fun with that and um and and we'll have some articles coming out too and of course the brand new steering wheel nation magazine that's going to be launching here pretty soon uh we're going to do some super modified coverage in there as well Uh, i'm just so excited to have all the tools back i've never had a a website like this where we're going to have the, the apps available uh, here soon. So you'll be able to download those. They're going to be free uh, for both Apple and Android. So you'll be able to, uh, to, to follow along and, and we're going to basically everything's going to be steering wheel nation centric here. So even when we do a live show, uh, we may simulcast it to the inside groove page, but we're going to, we're going to, everything's going to be based on steering wheel nation here. Cause that's kind of the central platform that we want to use. So uh, we'll keep, keep you up to date as we put all of that in place, but we're going to try to do as much coverage as we can. And um, you know, and have as much fun as we can talking about supers of all variety. And so again, if you're with ISMA or you're with MSS or the new series uh, up in new England, um, keep us informed. 
you know, if you if you send it to us, we'll we'll talk about it, we'll post it, we'll share it, whatever it takes. So uh, that's why we built the platform that we did is so we can expand our coverage of everything that we do. And um, by the way, again, I'll remind you, this show and all shows going forward will be available on the homepage at steeringwellnation.com as soon as they're posted on, I use transistor.fm to, to, to just sort of prop the shows up on the net. And then uh, we have the RSS feed that takes it to um, a lot of the podcast sites. But then uh, again, it's, it automatically populates on steeringwellnation.com. So, I mean, there's really no way that you can't get this show. If you have internet, you can get this show. SteeringWillNation.com, the Inside Groove Facebook page, um, you know, and uh, SteeringWillNation.com, it's on the homepage, but then we have a page for each show uh, on that site as well. We'll be developing content for those pages also. Okay, so as my voice is starting to fail me here, we're going to uh, throw the checkered flag in this one, but again, thank you so much to Joey Payne. What a... What a difficult weekend this has been. Um, losing Terry is just such a blow to all of us at Oswego. And then the, the super modified community. So uh, we we just, uh, my, my heart goes out to Pat, to his family, and to Joey and everybody that's ever driven for, crewed for, strong racing um just everybody who knew and loved terry uh, this is just heartbreaking but again we just i guess it it has to be some measure of comfort that she is no longer suffering she will never have to fight again she is at peace and um that's in in its own way that's as hard as as it is that she won't be here with us anymore, it's a blessing that uh, she just doesn't have to be sick or be in pain. She can be at peace. We um, we will never forget Terry Strong, and this show is dedicated to her memory. Until next time. When we talk about episode 96 and enjoy another look back at what was going on 50 years ago in 1972 on the next Inside Groove, I'm Tom Baker. Have a blessed week, everybody. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit RaceChaserMedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.